morning, God's Word comes to us from Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus 10, we'll be reading the first 11 verses of this chapter. While you are turning to that, um, perhaps a brief advertisement, uh, you are always encouraged uh, to come to both morning and evening worship, but this evening we are beginning something of a series within a series. Uh, you know we've been studying Colossians together, but we've come to that section in the book of Colossians which speaks particularly about our life, um, Christian conduct. And so we're going to be talking uh, about Christian conduct in the home. What is, it, what is it to be a godly husband, a godly wife, godly parents, godly children? So I, I encourage you, uh, we get, we're going to begin that tonight uh, by talking about what it is to be a godly wife. Um, come for that, come the next weeks as we have somewhat of this series within a series, uh, focusing on how we live our life before God. Certainly connecting with our series this morning, talking about holiness. We're going to read this morning from Leviticus chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses said to Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning we continue to study God, to study the attributes of God in our Knowing God series. We've talked about the importance of knowing God if we are to boast, we should not boast in our wisdom, in our might, in our riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, God says, that he knows me. Uh, last time, we talked about the fact that our God is a sovereign God. He is a king, 
a king over all creation. He's a king who rules over all. And even when evil things come our way, not outside of God's sovereignty. This morning, we're going to look at another attribute of God, God's holiness. And, and perhaps uh, holiness is not one of the first attributes that comes to our mind when we think about God. I think if you asked most people uh, to fill in the blank, God is blank, many people would say, well, God is love. And that's certainly true. And we're going to talk about that later in this series as well. God is love. But God is also holy. And, and holiness is one of, if I can put it this way, one of the central attributes of who God is. Holiness is the only attribute of God that is mentioned three times in a row. We just sang the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Where does that come from, kids? That comes from Isaiah chapter 6 where God is described as holy, holy, holy. Now, there's no text that says God is loving, loving, loving. There's no text that says God is just, just, just. God is mercy for mercy for mercy for But there is a text which says He is holy, holy, holy. Holiness is characteristic of all that God is. It really wouldn't make a lot of sense to talk about God's loving anger or His merciful wrath. But it does make sense to speak of His holy anger, His holy wrath, His holy love, His holy mercy. Holiness is who God is. It is central to his being. And in so many ways, we have lost a sense of that holiness, particularly a sense of God's holiness as we gather together for worship, as we gather to worship a holy God. How do we approach him? Leviticus is a book about holiness. It's a book about how an unholy people can approach a holy God. The book begins by talking about all the offerings necessary to come into God's presence, the presence of a holy God. The book ends with all kinds of feasts they have because God is a holy God and has called them into his presence. In the center of the book, Leviticus 16, we have that, that recounting of the Day of Atonement, of how, how the, uh, the, the, the people have to be reconciled to God an unholy people reconciled to a holy God. And we have this account in Leviticus chapter 10, dealing particularly with how we approach God, a holy God in worship, and what happens when we fail to recognize God's holiness. This morning we talk about knowing God, a holy God. As I said, holiness is descriptive of everything about God, even the things that surround God. Remember, children, in the Old Testament, when Moses looked 
and he saw that burning bush, and Moses was going to go and see what was going on, and, and Moses began to approach that bush, and he heard a voice that said, Take off your shoes, for you are standing on holy ground. That theophany of God in the burning of the bush, and they hear the voice, this is because God is here, this is holy ground. Holiness surrounds the things of God. Think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. This this place that was built to acknowledge God's holiness. There was a certain approach to coming to the tabernacle. There was the outer court. And then the inner court, which was called the holy place. And then inside of that yet, the most holy place, or sometimes called the holy of holies. This approach recognizing God's holiness. It was carried over into the temple. In the temple, the priests, as those who would serve, and they had on particular garments, holy vestments. They used bowls and cups, holy utensils. They were in Jerusalem, the holy city. In fact, even today, when people go to visit Israel, they'll maybe refer to that as the holy land, the things surrounding God. As we gather this morning, I just read from God's holy word. This morning, we will come to the holy supper of our Lord. The things surrounding God are holy, and God himself is holy. Many times in the Psalms, we are called to give praise to God and to give praise to his holy name. We think of a psalm like Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me, bless his holy name. The name of God is holy. Again, from Psalm 105, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. God's name is holy. When Jesus himself prays to God the Father in his high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus addresses him as holy Father, this is who God is. We looked last week at Acts chapter 4 and about how God's providence uh, even ruled over uh, the uh, death of Jesus Christ, who is described as God's holy servant, Jesus. The second person of the Trinity described as holy. And think about the third person of the Trinity. What do we call him? He is the Holy Spirit. Now, God could have chose to have us call him the righteous spirit, the just spirit, the sweet spirit. But God himself calls him the Holy Spirit. Holiness is characteristic of God. It is who he is. It is what he does. What does uh, holiness mean? And we touched on this um, just a bit last Sunday evening in our Colossians series. What does holiness mean? I'm going to suggest two things this morning uh, to understand the nature of holiness. Holiness is, first of all, to be set apart. Sometimes we use the word consecrated. 
God is set apart from everything else. God is set apart from creation. Now, truly, God created everything, but nothing in creation is God. And there is nothing in creation that can properly image God. God is set apart from creation. There is no pantheism where we worship God in nature because God is in nature in that way. No, God created all. But he is different. He is set apart from creation. God is set apart from mankind. It is not the case that God and man differ in quantity. That if man just had more of something, more quantity, he would become God. That is not the case. We differ from God in quality. He is creator. We are creature. Not a difference of quantity. If we only had more of us, we could be God. We are different. He is set apart. Nadab and Avihu failed to recognize that distinction. They thought they could approach God in worship on their own terms. Now, Nadab and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded, sometimes referred to as strange fire. Something which God had not commanded, something which he had not allowed, God had said he would be approached in his way in worship. They wanted to approach in their way, casually, failing to recognize the holiness, the set-apartness of God. And what do we read? Verse 2, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. God will not be approached in any way. He had said, this is how you shall approach me. They thought they knew better. They failed to recognize the otherness of God, the set-apartness of God, the holiness of God. And as a result, fire comes from the Lord. And so, so we read in verse 3, And then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. The root there is holiness. I'll be shown holy before the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron held his peace at the death of his sons, lest he appear to charge God with being unholy. This word is still for us today. How do we approach God in worship? Do we recognize it is a holy God into whose presence we are coming? Do we come in with a sense of awe, a sense of reverence? We are entering the place where God is. God himself is with us, we sang this morning. Or do we come in casually, 
um, newspaper tucked under our arm and a cup of coffee just in case things get a little bit boring. We can, you know, check the scores and, and have a sip of coffee. How do we approach our God in worship? Do we recognize we're coming into the presence of a holy God? And when people tell us today that worship is simply a matter of style, simply a matter of your preference, they have obviously not read about Nadab and Abihu. Worship is a matter of life and death. Failing to recognize a holy God led to the death of Nadab and Abihu. And you say, yeah, but, but that was the Old Testament. Uh, God doesn't do that anymore. That, that was the Old Testament God. He was the fiery God. We have a New Testament God. Well, I would encourage you later today to go to the book of Hebrews and uh, in the book of Hebrews look up chapter 12 at the end of that chapter we read this therefore let us be grateful for we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire not that he was a consuming fire. In the New Testament, let's offer worship acceptable with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. The fact that he has not consumed us is simply because he is gracious as well. We come recognizing his holiness. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be sour, <laughs> doesn't mean we have to be sad. We enter God's presence with reverent praise. We should be excited. We should celebrate. We should praise our God. It doesn't say be sour. But there's a reverence about the praise that we bring. There's a reverence about how we approach our God. God is set apart. Holiness also refers to God being morally perfect. It refers to God's purity. God is described as light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the darkness, we cannot have fellowship with the light. God is light. God is perfect. God is holy. God, God is a God who is so holy, He can evil take, even take that which appears to be evil, but uses it for our good. We talked about that last time. His holy sovereignty. God loves the right. God loves what is pure. God loves what is holy, what is morally perfect. And if God loves the right, that means he also hates that which is wrong. And we read about that this morning in Psalm chapter 5. God hates those who refuse to acknowledge Him. Psalm 5, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. 
God's righteous anger, God's holy anger against those who refuse to acknowledge him. God hates the sin. God hates those who dwell in that sin. And again, that is why Aaron is told, or Aaron holds his peace, lest he seem to criticize God for what he has done. And we read again in verse 6, Moses said to Aaron and to the sons, Do not let your hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes. Do not mourn, basically, lest you die and the wrath of God come upon the congregation. Lest it appear that you are charging God with somehow being unjust, unholy in his actions. Those outside, that's okay. But you serving in the worship, do not speak against God. Do not mourn what he has done. For he is holy. He is morally perfect in all that he does. This holy God, this righteous God, this perfect God, as we read this morning from Leviticus as well, this holy God calls us to be holy. He calls us to a moral perfection. He calls us to live in such a way that the character of our lives conforms with His holiness, with His perfection. He has given us a perfect word to teach us how we should live. We are called to holiness. Be holy as I am holy. We are called to separation, to be set apart from our sin, set apart from those things which drag us down, not returning to that sin again, but leaving it behind, the death of the old man, the coming to life of the new man. We are called to separate ourselves from that which is unholy. And we say, how is that possible? How is it possible to live that kind of life? Already this morning, we have said things, we have done things, we have thought things unholy things that would incur God's righteous anger. We are called to these holy lives because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ came to perfectly wash us from all impurity, to take away all of our sins. We are now as white as snow. And He, by His righteousness, has, has now have God see us as if we were perfectly righteous, as Christ was righteous for us. This is how God sees us in Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done, because His Spirit now dwells within His people. Out of, out of thanksgiving for that glorious gift, we are now called to pursue holiness. Once again this morning, the gospel goes out. Don't try to be good just so you can be good. We'll always fail. We will fall under God's condemnation. Put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ, in His perfection, His perfect sacrifice, His perfect obedience. And when you understand what He has done for you, what He gave up for you, we respond with lives of thanksgiving. And we do begin to pursue that holy life. And God strengthens us. He strengthens us by His Word. 
and he strengthens us by his sacrament. This morning, we come to the table of the Lord. The Holy Supper, where we take and eat that we might be strengthened in our faith. God gives us these means to help us. Sometimes we say, you know, I, I, I'm so troubled by my sin, I just don't dare come to the table. But that's why we should come to the table, because we're troubled by our sin. And God, by His Spirit, strengthens us by coming and feasting upon the body and blood of Christ, that we might pursue a life of holiness, loving what is right, hating what is wrong, not returning to our sin, not making peace with our sin, not loving our sin, but turning away again and again and again. And when we fall short, we once again call out to God, who is merciful, who is gracious, who forgives us of all our iniquities. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, I, I, know, I, I know I did this sin again, but, uh, but I, I think God will understand. I think God will understand what I was going through. And I try to say with all the love that I can, God does not understand. God doesn't understand sin. It is abhorrent to Him. Sin is that which is anathema to Him. Don't think God somehow understands. Rather, confess that He understands and know His forgiveness. Know that we have been washed and cleansed and now called to pursue a holy life, holy like our God is holy. This is the God who we serve. This is the God in whose presence we worship today. Holy, righteous, morally perfect, set apart from all evil, and yet who welcomes us through Jesus Christ to come into his presence and to come to the table of his Son. Oh, we praise God that he is a holy God. He is perfect in all that he does. And this holy God loves us so much that he would offer up his own Son in thanksgiving to him. We say, how can we thank you we too will pursue holiness. Let's join together in prayer. Holy God, we praise your name. Lord of all, we bow before you. Truly, O oh God, you are great, you are glorious, you are beyond anything we can imagine, and you are holy. Thank you for calling us into your presence. Lord God, if we have taken this call to worship casually, if we've thought we could approach you on our own terms, we ask you would forgive us. You would restrain your righteous wrath from us. And you would move our hearts to a greater devotion, to worship you as you would be worshipped, to recognize your holiness. Lord God, if in our lives we become casual with how we live, forgive us for that. Forgive us for thinking you might understand our sin. But rather, O oh God, help us to turn away from that wickedness, turn away from that fallenness, and give us that strength by your Holy Spirit to pursue you, to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness. Thank you for the means you give your holy word and the holy supper to encourage us in that task. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.